All right, are you ready to get in the Word this morning? Say amen if you are. The series is called Spirit and Truth, and as we look together today, this is number four. Um, we'll be doing six total, so I have two more Sundays in this flow. Uh, the title of the message today is called The Power of Agreement. Say that with me, please. The Power of Agreement. Our series text is found in the Gospel of John chapter 4. Verse 24, the Bible says, For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in, say it, truth. Everybody say spirit and truth. All right, our message text for this morning is found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 19 and 20. Easy to remember, Matthew 18, 19, 20. It says, I also tell you this, if two of you, say it, agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. What is the condition? God's doing whatever you ask for has to be that you will do what? Everybody say agree. Verse 20, for where two or three gather together, where two or three gather together as my followers, the King James says, in my name, there am I in the midst of them. NLT says, I am there among them. One of my mentors, a great Bible teacher in the early charismatic movement in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, as that crested, that move of the Holy Spirit, uh, his name was Bob Mumford. He, I say, is, is. He's still living. He's very elderly now. But he used to when he would preach from this passage, he would say, this is the Mumford translation, where it says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, uh, that I will be among you, or there I am in the midst of them. He says, the Mumford translation says it that way. If just two or three of you can get your act together, I'm going to show up just to see it. Now, if you have any understanding of the splintering in the body of Christ and the fragmentation in denominationalism, and it's even more accentuated today in the 21st century with the hyper-polarization in political parties, in, in separation of folks, of the haves and the have-nots, of it's us versus them mentality. There is a tremendous disunity in the body of Christ, in the, the nation, uh, in the White House, in the, in, in the Supreme Court, in the halls of Congress, the Senate, um, the House of Representatives, on a state, on a national level, locally, uh, it just seems that everything seems to be agitated. There is a line of demarcation, and it's, it's either you're with us or you're against us. And we, I think, have lost sight of the fact that we are all Americans first, speaking nationally, and we've lost sight of it in the church as well, that we are Christians first. We are Christians before we are whatever your label is. I don't want to say anybody's first because I don't want to be prefer it. Around here, pretty much, is Baptist, and we love them. We thank, we're we thankful for what God has done through the Southern Baptist Convention and through the Independent Baptist Movement and all of the others, Church of Christ, Pentecostal, Methodist, Presbyterian, whatever. And you can go on and on and on and on. Um, before we are any of those things, we are believers. We are Christians. We, sh we should be disciples of Christ. Somebody say amen. And I don't mean the denomination that has that name. I mean just to be Jesus' disciple, followers of Jesus. And 
this principle that I want to bring this morning has to deal with this idea of agreement. And the obvious issue is that the Spirit and truth agree. The Word of God and the Spirit of God are in agreement. How many of you believe that? The Spirit of God is never going to lead you to do something that is contrary to what the Word of God has already said. Because the Spirit of God wrote the Word of God. Say amen, somebody. All right, and so this morning as we look, our one thing that we're going to visit repetitiously through the message is this idea. Agreeing with God's Word will transform our personal lives. Agreeing with each other will transform our vision. Agreeing with God's Word will transform my personal life. If I get in agreement with what God has said about me and then I apply it accordingly, it will transform my existence. If I learn to agree with other believers, um, now we've learned, let me just pause and take a moment and remind you that we're not talking about every little jot and tittle. There are things that we need to have room and grace for each other to disagree on that don't make a difference in our salvation. In the essentials, unity. Everybody say unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. Everybody say in everything, charity. Now, Disunity is the devil's desire. If he can bring strife into the middle of any enterprise, into any relationship, into a marriage between a man and a woman, a husband and wife, between parents and children, between neighbors and a neighborhood, between students and teachers, between employers and employees, wherever all the multitudes of relationships that we all have, when disunity comes into it, we have just destroyed the ability to succeed at what whatever our enterprise is, what we're attempting to do. Educate kids in a school, raise children in a, in a godly home life, build a destiny together as husband and wife, take a church and teach them that we are sent to a city, that it's not just about you know, having a nice place and trying to get everybody to come to us, but that we literally are in a meeting right now that challenges us and we're laying the groundwork and the plans for what we're all going to do as we march out of here at the end of this service this morning into our respective mission fields. Our mission field is out there. It's not in here. We are, we are in a huddle on the football field and we're about to run out there and run the plays of life all week long, Monday through Saturday. Sunday we come in here and we hear the voice of, the, of our heavenly coach and he gives us some direction and we've we got, we got a pep rally going. We've got some excitement. There's some praise. There's some worship. And we're, we're, we're coming together with one sound. And we're coming together in a spirit of unity. And the enemy always tries to diss whatever we're doing. Matter of fact, diss is one of the mythological names of the God of the underworld. When you are at ease... And dis gets involved in the ease of your life, it becomes what? Disease. When you're in agreement together and dis attacks and gets involved and, and injects some strife, your agreement has just become disagreement. And sometimes over the silliest, stupidest things, I'll just raise my hand and tell you some of the most ridiculous arguments that Dawn and I had. Uh, as a married couple, we would just sit back and then laugh at ourselves going, you know, baby, I was an idiot. She said, well, yeah, it took me long enough to convince you of that. <laughs> I'm sorry, baby. I'm, I'm, please forgive me. And we would always come back to a place of agreement. 
because we knew that it was that place where God would bless us if we would determine to walk in agreement. Somebody say amen. The Word and the Spirit agree. The, the Scripture says the Spirit, the, the, the blood, the water, and the Spirit agree in 1 John. The elements that delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt were those three. The blood on the doorpost, baptized into Moses in the sea, the Red Sea, picture of water baptism. And 1 Corinthians 10 says they were baptized into Moses in the sea and the cloud. So that's the water and the spirit. So the blood, the water, and the spirit. Uh, Israel was delivered from Egypt by those three natural elements. Those now are spiritual elements for us. Literally, the blood of Jesus, water of baptism that recognizes what the blood has already accomplished and done and that we have already been saved. And then the spirit that fills us. Everybody say the blood, the water, and the spirit. First John says they're in agreement and so this principle of agreement is all over the word, the importance of unity. We don't want to uh, get into disunity. We don't want to get into disagreement. And if we're in disagreement, then we need to put it in proper perspective. Uh, Amos chapter 3 verse 3 says, Can two walk together except they be agreed? Okay? Now sometimes that means that we operate out of a generous spirit and we agree to disagree. We don't have to agree on every little jot and tittle. If you're looking for a church where you can agree with everything, let me tell you how tiny that church is going to be. It's going to have one member, and it's you. If you're ever going to be part of something that is bigger than you are, then we have to learn the 10th the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is not in your Bible, but I'm going to tell you it ought to be there. It's the fruit of flexibility. How many of you know how flexible we need to be? It just amazes me sometimes when otherwise folk that I thought were mature fall all to pieces because something is not exactly perfect in their lives. Now, there's some things that are worth falling apart over that are, that are earth-changing, life-changing circumstances, but just because you know, one little thing or two is out of line, there's no reason to lose your mind. We've got to learn how to be flexible and just kind of give and take and just flow with life. Come on, somebody. We'll be a whole lot happier if we learned that. We need some flexibility. Now, agreeing with God's word will transform our personal lives. Agreeing with each other will transform our vision. Let's, let's stop and pray right here. Spirit of God, we ask you to help us. Thank you that there is agreement in the Godhead, that you're one. Thank you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you stand together. And thank you that you do that in our lives. Be the ears and the eyes and the hearts of your people. Lord, I ask you to take my words, my thoughts, my meditations, Lord, and bring them together and deliver them, serve them to your people, Father, with a transformative word. Lord, not just the principles that are going to be in this message, but something that will be a hot coal off of the altar into the heart of every individual in this room. Jesus, speak to us. Thank you that you speak through the proclamation of the gospel of God. Let, let hearts be set free. Let eyes be opened. Let, let deaf ears that have not heard this word of the kingdom be unstopped. Lord, thank you that where the, where the Spirit is Lord, there is liberty, there's freedom. Bring that to us. Set prisoners and captives free this morning in this service. Lord, heal wounds in the hearts of people. Bring broken marriages back together. Lord, separations in parents and children. Heal those rifts, I pray. Lord, let us be the people you've called us to be, all because of who Jesus is. We thank you for this. In his name we pray. And everybody said, 
Amen. Where two or three together, together as my followers, I am there among them. Point number one, we need to learn to pray symphonic prayers. Symphonic prayers. Before I jump into this metaphor, I just want to give a testimony. Right after Dawn died, I was sitting and I was watching television and I saw that Elton John announced that he was going to do his farewell tour. Farewell uh, Yellow Brick Road tour. And I just happened to say out loud, and this just came back to my remembrance this week, I just happened to say, Lord, I sure would love to see him perform one time before he finishes, before he quits, before he retires. And I literally forgot about it and I didn't even think anymore. I was just been busy. We've been, we were trying to get the church built. I was dealing with my grief. I was praying through just covering my children in prayer and both of them dealing with the loss of their mom, my wife, and just battling that up and down, you know, get a little bit of progress and then just plunge in deeper uh, the next day and from one day to the next, just sometimes living from hour to hour. And I'd literally forgotten that I'd said those to the Lord. I'd said it when I said it. I said, Lord, I sure would love to see Elton John before he quits. And I know some of you probably think, why would you want to see him? Well, I'm a musician, and let me just stop and say this. I'm going to chase this rabbit real quick. I think that God gives gifts to people, whether they ever use it specifically to glorify God or not, it's still a gift from God. I think that's in visual art. I think that's in musical art. That, that's in writing novelists. I think that we can teach principles about life. We can write songs about life. You, you know, obviously, we don't necessarily agree or approve of uh, his lifestyle, but I can still recognize his art and his gift for what it is. And so um, I, I had just said, Lord, I just would love to see him before he, he quits. And a couple in our church last Sunday afternoon texted me and said, we have four tickets to the Elton John concert in Memphis. And we don't have two to go. Dude, would you like to go? And I just stopped. I'm sitting at my counter. And y'all, I'm sorry if this, probably the guys go, you cry too much. <laughs> I literally was taken back in my memory to sitting in the house two and a half years before when I had said the words, Lord, I would love to see him before he quits. And a tear rolled down my cheek, and it was just like God said, see, I love you that much that I hear every prayer you pray. And maybe this is, you know, too mushy or sentimental to you, but it was, a, it was one of those God moments in my life where the Lord just reminded me that if he, if he knows the number of hairs on my head and he knows when a sparrow falls from the sky, how much more is he aware of his children? And not only what you need, but uh, the desires of your heart sometimes. Are you following me? And so Abby was supposed to fly to L.A. and her, her plans changed and she stayed. And so we went and it had a wonderful father-daughter time and the couple took us out to eat to an amazing meal at Cafe Society and had a great time of fellowship with this couple in the church and I just want to say that God is interested in not only the, what you need, but the desires of your heart. Are you, are you hearing me this morning? So, I didn't tell that in the first service, but I just wanted to tell you that. I want to remind you of that. That when you get your life in agreement with the Word of God, 
God will surprise you with things that will just knock your socks off. You just go, God, you were so good to me. You know, if you'd have never done that, I would have, I would have even thought about it because I'd forgotten even saying the words. And so this morning, as we talk about symphonic prayers, um, as a musician, I occasionally enjoy going to hear the symphony, Memphis Symphony. I'm, uh, I follow them and uh, occasionally go to a performance. Uh, a, a symphony orchestra is, a, is one that is different than just a few pieces, a small orchestra. A symphony orchestra has all of the instrumentation represented. You have brass, and you have woodwinds, and you have strings, and you have percussion. And a symphony orchestra can accomplish things that a smaller group can attempt to do but won't have the same effect. A symphony that is performing, an orchestra that is performing a well-written symphony that's been written by a master can literally make you feel the thunder and the lightning of a storm. And then it can make you feel the calm and the peace as the sun rises behind the clouds. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said, there is nothing on the planet as powerful as the proclamation of the word of God. The word of God spoken is the most powerful thing to affect and transform the souls of men. He said, but the second thing is music. Nothing has the ability to move the hearts of men and women like the word of God except for music. It's the second in line. And as I look at this this morning, I'm, I'm not just trying to reach for a metaphor because this is actually the word that is in the text. When we start talking about symphonic prayers, I, I want you to see this Greek word right here, symphoneo. Symphoneo literally is the word agree. If two of you agree as touching anything, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. If two of you symphoneo, If two of you can get in harmony together, if two of you can get in agreement, if two of you can determine that you're going to head in the same direction and not let disunity, not let disagreement, dis, the mythological god of the underworld, not let dis-ease come into play. If you've ever been to the symphony before, you know that before the performance begins, the concertmaster, the first chair violinist, will begin to play a concert B-flat. And everybody in the orchestra will begin to tune to that standard. You'll have all the strings begin to tune, and then the other instruments will begin to come into tune, and you start to hear the most god-awful sound you can ever imagine as the symphony begins to tune up. And the more they do it, the more they begin to get in one sound. You guys following what I'm doing here this morning? Okay, so what I want you to see is that... I'm going to do a tap dance for you here. What I want you to see and hear is that heaven is issuing a tone... It is sending a sound. Jesus is our heavenly concert master. And not only is he the conductor of the orchestra, but he is also the tuning fork. He is setting the standard of which we are either sharp or flat. How many of you heard a group sing and you, something just not quite right? Because the tenor is a little bit sharp or the alto is a little bit flat. And nothing seems exactly right because the intonation is the critical issue. They're not quietly in tune. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, get in tune and stay in tune. Now, you cannot imagine 
what it would be like if you had some rogue musician who has an attitude toward the conductor and is frustrated because they're not seated as the first chair violinist and they're just going to, they're going to send a sound of dissonance. They're going to send a disagreeing sound. They're going to complain and grumble and gripe and they're going to send a disagreeing sound in terms of what the rest of the enterprise is attempting to do because they're just frustrated and they're offended. They would probably lose their job in the orchestra pretty quickly. And yet sometimes we get in those positions and we get offended, we get in places of frustration, and we just are determined that somebody's going to hear our sound that is dissonant from what everybody else is doing and saying or the direction that the team is going or, or the, the, the enterprise that our job or our business or my employer, the changes they're making, I don't like them, so I'm going to gripe about it. I'm going to be sharp instead of getting in line. Anybody hearing what I'm saying? So it's easy to vertically agree. We can vertically enter into worship and we lift our hearts and we look upward to God. And, and, you know, the problem is never me and Jesus. It's all those others that he brings with him. It's the other idiots. I can vertically agree. And as a matter of fact, the greatest symphonic prayer is the Lord's Prayer. He teaches us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, holy is your name. Thy kingdom come. Come kingdom of God. Come come rule of God in my life. Be done will of God. In earth as it is in heaven, get my life existence in tune with the pitchfork of heaven. I'm getting in tune and I'm staying in tune. I'm going to walk in agreement with what the word says and what the spirit is leading, because they are always in agreement, about my life. And so I can vertically agree. And when heaven and earth come together in line, how many of you know God moves mountains? When believers get in agreement with what the Word of God says about them, God shows up and shows out and moves mountains in the lives of people. And the issue is never the problem of vertical agreement. That's easy. That's the easy part. The challenge is the horizontal agreement. It's the bars of the cross out here. It's, 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 it's the two commandments that Jesus reduced from 10. He says, love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The challenge is loving all the rest of you as I do myself. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching so good. Mm, everybody's still in tune with me this morning? Come on. Say, get in tune and stay in tune. Horizontal agreement is the challenge because I'm faced with the challenge of offenses. Matter of fact, this very passage, the verses right before that are where Jesus says, if a brother has offended you, go put it on Facebook is what he said. Is that what the word says? (laughs) If a sister has offended you and hurt your feelings, the Greek word for offended is skandalon. We get our English word scandal from it. If you've ever been offended, you've been scandalized. Literally, the skandalon is the trap is the little trigger mechanism on the mouse trap. It's gotten cold. Caught my first mouse the other day. I guess I should say glory to God. I don't know. I... There it was. A little baby on a sticky trap. What do you do, you know? Lord, let death come quickly. Put it in the bag and hit it with a hammer. I don't... What do you do, you know? I don't... Be merciful. I... 
there's no way. I, I, I'm just tracing a mouse. I'm not going to chase a rabbit. Okay. Where was I? The mouse is definitely offended when he touches the trigger. Piao. And he's trapped. Now, let me say this. When you get offended, you can't help it. But from that second forward, what you do with the offense is forever your choice. I'm going in. Come on, somebody. Help me. Give me some shouting music. Are you hearing me this morning? If you nurse the grudge, if you let the root of bitterness grow deeper, you have victimized yourself. You have scandalized yourself. Wake up and hear the prophetess Eliza or whatever her name is on that God-forsaken Disney movie, Let It Go. What's the name of that movie? Frozen. Frozen. I believe that's what God wants us to do. When we pray that tuning prayer of the Lord's Prayer and we go on further down and and give us, Lord, the, the needs that we have and we come to that conditional portion where it says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. God, because you have forgiven me, I choose today to come in alignment with your word, in agreement with your word, and I choose to walk in forgiveness. The book of Proverbs says, the man who looks over, who overlooks an offense is the blessed and wise person. If I paid attention to every crossword that had been said to me in 31 years of pastoring victory, I would have never made it into the second year. Sometimes folks say something and they just really not even, they don't mean it like it sounds. And sometimes I get home and I just laugh going, wow, I believe that was a left-handed compliment there I just got. And I just laugh about it. I'm not going to get offended. Because I, I know that heart of that person. I don't think they meant it that way. Well, maybe they did, but I don't know. I, don't know. I, I choose. How many of you know you can go back and forth between? Because the enemy's like a, the devil and the angel on either shoulder going, no, they really can't stand you. They're probably sowing seeds of discord in, among the people. How many of you know pastors have to fight thoughts like everybody else does? Proverbs says there's one thing that God hates out of seven. It's those who sow discord among the brothers. I, I'm, I don't have anybody in mind right now. I'm just teaching this series and this word about the word and the spirit agreeing about how we can agree with God. Heaven and earth can agree how we can agree with each other. When we choose to do that, blessing comes. When we get out of the dis and we cast out dis, disease, disagreement, disunity, dissonance, all of the dis, then we begin to open ourselves up to walk in God's blessing and God's best and his purpose for our lives. Somebody say amen. Now, I want you to see this this morning as we look. Um, in the horizontal agreement, it's the challenge of offenses and it's the decision to overlook things. It's the decision to recognize that I have to be teachable. And let me just say this. Let me pause for a moment and say this. If I have in any way offended any of you, I said this in the first service, if I've offended any of you in this room, please don't believe the lie of the enemy that I am an ogre and that I'm not approachable. I'm the sweetest teddy bear you've ever met in your life. If you just come and say, Pastor, maybe I misunderstood, but this is how that hit me. And you know what? I'll own it. I'll go, you know what? If the Spirit of the Lord reminds me, there have been times that I've said, you know what, as soon as that came out of my mouth, 
I, my, the Spirit checked me, and I didn't mean it how it sounded. Let me correct that. Would you forgive me, please? I don't apologize to people. I do. And I want that. I want unity. Because unity can't be made. Unity can only be maintained. It has to be protected. Ephesians 4 says that we endeavor to keep the spirit of unity in the bond of peace. And that means that we, what's that little song I learned back in high school? That was actually the college ministry at, at Arkansas State. It was Ephesians 4.32. It's back when we were singing all those scripture songs. They were all out of the King James. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Ephesians 4.32. I know it's bad. I know it's hokey. I didn't write it, but we learned it. And guess what? It's in there now. Be kind one to another. I want to tell you something. This is something the church ought to set the tone on. You know what? It's unfortunate because we're not. Do you know who's setting the tone on this? Ellen DeGeneres. Do you know she's doing a better job of just reminding everybody to be kind to people? She was, had a photo taken with her recently with President George Bush. Ellen is a liberal. George is a conservative. And she, she, she took a lot of flack from some hard-left liberals that basically said, why would you let yourself, why would you even sit next to him? And she said, wait a minute. I have lots of friends across the whole spectrum. The whole point of being kind is not just the people that you, just, that you agree with. The point is being kind to everybody. And I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, the church spends so much time hating on her and she's teaching us how we ought to be doing what she's saying right there. Come on, somebody. Don't get mad at me. I'm telling you the truth this morning. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for... Why is it that church people can be the honest-to-God meanest old cusses you have ever met in your life? We hate on everybody. Why? Because we hate ourselves. We're not loving our brothers as we love ourselves because we don't love ourselves. Y'all get anything out of this this morning? Come on. Point number two, quickly, the place of commanded blessing. Let me move. This is Psalm 133, verses 1 through 3. Let's hit it very quickly. How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. Isn't that interesting? The King James says in unity. This is the New Living Translation. I love this because it goes right in line with this concept of the symphony. This idea of all of these instruments being led, reading the same score of music, being conducted by the same individual, and bringing all of these multiplicity of sounds and tones together in a harmonious way, creating beautiful music, a gift from God. And these are the 15 songs of degrees from Psalms 120 through 134. They're used three times a year as the children of Israel would go up to Jerusalem to the Temple of Solomon to celebrate the three big feast seasons of Passover and Pentecost and Tabernacles. And as they would ascend the mountain to go up to the temple, they would be singing these 15 psalms of degrees. There are 15 steps up the Temple of Solomon. There are 15 songs of degrees. And as they're on the way to Jerusalem, they're, they're moving through. Psalm 120, 121, 122 says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And they move through the acts of God and the works of God's vengeance against their enemies. And they're coming to a place. This is the 14th one. They're almost to the 15th one, to the end of the progression of the, the Psalms of Ascent. And they're, they're pausing to say, it's amazing when people get their act together and they start to operate in harmony. 
how wonderful it is when brothers dwell together in a spirit of unity because they're in that place. God shows up in a powerful way and they start to describe how he's going to show up in verse 2. It says, for harmony is as precious as the, everybody say anointing oil, as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head that ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe. This literally is a picture of the high priest who receives the anointing oil, which is the presence of God. It's a precious thing. There's a law that forbids that anybody copies it. You, you, it, it, it is a precious, fragrant oil. You, you can't buy a knockoff. You can't go to Sephora in the mall and get a, a knockoff of the anointing oil that'll cost you five bucks. You can't, you can't go to Walmart and buy a, a, a copy of uh, of uh, Polo by Ralph Lauren or whatever it is that you're looking for, Chanel number five, Mademoiselle or whatever the, the fragrance is that you're looking for. The, the anointing oil is a precious thing. It has a very specific recipe. Now, all around here in different places, because we are a church that believes in walking according to the word, James 5 says, if there be any sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church and they will anoint with oil and they will lay hands on the sick and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. This is a little vial of anointing oil which is made according to the recipe of, of the Old Testament, the books of Moses. And when we pray for someone who is sick, we'll take this little dab of oil and we'll make a little cross. Now, my forehead's going to shine the rest of this message in the shape of a little cross. But what I want you to see is when a new high priest was put into place, it wasn't a little dab do you. They took a whole vial and dumped out a massive amount of oil that ran down the head of the high priest, dripping off of his beard, and down so much oil that it's dripping off the end of the robe of his garments. And this is an amazing picture because Jesus is our high priest. And what I want you to see this morning is in the sense of that we, he is the head and we are the body, the anointing comes on the head first. And it's poured down over the, and it, it comes on the beard. So this is a mature man. This is Jesus who is the son of God. He's God the son. And it's poured down over him. But the same anointing oil that comes down on Jesus' head comes down on all the rest of the body. You've got it in your life too. It's called the Holy Spirit. Somebody says, well, I wish I could really hear from the Spirit of God. Well, guess what? What's hindering you from hearing? Strife. Disunity disagreement, grumbling, constantly complaining. Check your words. Stop. Lord, be a guard at my mouth. Make sure that what comes out of your mouth are words that bless and not words that curse. Don't shout me down. Come on, somebody help me this morning. Go ahead to the next verse, verse 3, and then we're finished. Harmony is as refreshing as, everybody say, do. Do from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion, and there the Lord has pronounced his blessing, even life everlasting. You know what? In everybody's, in every generation, there is a life-changing flood of revival. There's a hundred-year flood or there's a 500-year flood. Every generation has one. An outpouring of the Holy Spirit, a move of, move of God in every generation. But that's a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Every year, there are seasonal rains. The scripture talks about the spring and the autumn rains. The, the, the rains that that water the earth after the seeds have been planted, after the ground is cultivated and the seeds are in the ground. The rains that come in the fall that mature the crop that's about to be harvested. Sometimes between the spring and the fall rains, it's a, it's a dry season. It can almost be a drought. 
But I want you to see this. Don't wait every Sunday for a little bit of coming here and say, God, rain on my life. I've been dry in my spiritual walk this week. Guess what? If you'll become a person who's committed to the word, getting it every day, whatever your time of day is, guess what? God will settle some dew down on your dry ground every day. There's daily dew. There's daily dew of his presence. There's seasonal rains of his presence. And then at some point in all of our lives, in every generation, there is an earth-shaking, world-changing flood of revival. And I'm looking for that one in my generation. I'm going to hang around here long enough to see one happen and see this shake this planet again before Jesus comes. Don't wait for the once-in-your-lifetime flood. Don't wait for the seasonal rains. Don't come in here once a week and just say, come on, Pastor, water my plants. I'm, I'm dry. If you haven't been in the Word all week long, if you haven't prayed, learn to do that. Don't hear this this morning as judgment. Hear it as a challenge. Become a man of the Word. Become a woman of prayer. Both of those things, prayer and in the Word, worship, and let the dew of God come in your life. All of these are pictures of the symbols of the Spirit's presence. The very last one is His pronounced blessing. When we choose, when we make the choice to not be offended, to not be so easily offended, I love it because the Bible says in Psalm 119, verse 165, Great peace have they which love thy word, for nothing will offend them. That's the mark of a mature man, a mature woman where you're not so easily offended. If every time you turn around, you're getting offended, guess what? You are the problem. I love you, but you need to grow up. Let the Lord heal some insecurities in your life. Let the Lord heal some rejection. If you have a spirit of rejection on you, you think everybody's rejecting you, and you're not, they're not. But when you go around and you put rejection glasses on and you're just sure that they're rejecting you, you're putting off that and and it's an awkwardness that people don't want to be around. And so you make your own rejection in your own life. That wasn't in my first message. Come on, somebody. Hear the word of the Lord. Let God, let God heal the brokenness, the hurts, the wounds that are in your life, and learn not to be so easily offended. Let me tell you something. I have a chance every day of my life to get offended by somebody. If nothing else, if, if you hadn't been offended today, just go get on the I-240 loop and drive around Memphis. You will get offended before you get home. And you better not act like it because you might get shot. You better learn to control when you're offended, when you're scandalized. You better learn to let it go. Are you hearing me this morning? When we choose, oh, oh, how amazing it is when a couple, when a husband and a wife decide we are going to walk together in agreement. I, you're going to forgive the nagging she does, and ma'am, you're going to forgive his inactivity, what you've been trying to nag him to get done. And you're going to decide we're going to walk together in agreement and we're going to trust God. We're going to pray some symphonic prayers. We're going to quit being one flat and one sharp. We're going to get in tune together. We're going to say the same thing and we're going to trust God. And when we do, God will bring anointing oil of his presence. He'll put dew on our dry ground and he will speak words of life. He will pronounce a blessing over what you're doing. God wants to change the delta Because the people in victory are determined that we're not just going to mouth about this stuff, but we're going to demonstrate it. We don't have to stay in a spirit of poverty. God will bless us. He will give us wisdom and enterprising ideas. 
He will promote and he will bring blessing and he will pour out good things into your lives. We don't have to stay prejudiced. We can let God heal us of of what Granny taught us about people that are different from us. And we can learn to not be biased and we can learn to accept and love each other and we can be a church that reaches out and really honest to God doesn't just teach little kids to sing red and yellow, black and white, all are precious in his sight, but the adults actually live it and believe it. We can be a people that in the middle of all of the apathy and all of the indifference and just don't care and the mediocrity of the delta, we can be a people that knock the A off of apathy and we become passionate, on fire for God and for his kingdom. Hallelujah. And we do care. And we put excellence. We don't, we're not satisfied with mediocrity. We are passionate about what we do for God. Are you hearing me this morning? Yes and amen. Let me finish. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, as surely as God is faithful, our word to you does not waver between yes and no. For Jesus Christ, the Son of God, does not waver between yes and no. He is the one whom Silas, Timothy, and I preach to you and is God's ultimate yes. I love that. Jesus is God's ultimate yes. As God's ultimate yes, he always does what he says. People, you can count on Jesus' words. Verse 20, for all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes and through Christ our amen, which means yes. Technically, it means so be it. Everybody say, so be it. Yes, amen. It ascends to God for his glory. Two verses. It is God who enables us along with you to stand firm. Everybody say, stand firm. That's just another way of saying get in agreement and stay there. Get tuned and stay in tune. Stand firm for Christ. He has commissioned us. He has sent us to this community. Verse 22 and last verse. And he has identified us as his own by placing, there it is, say it, the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised us. Ephesians has this same idea and it says that the Holy Spirit is the earnest of our inheritance. And if you've bought houses here in this congregation, you put down earnest money. Probably $500, maybe $1,000, I don't know. But you put down earnest money basically saying that I am in earnest of this contract. I am good for the rest of it. God gives you the Holy Spirit as a down payment, as a guarantee that all the other promises of God are yours in Christ. They're yes. And all you have to do is rise up. It's a two-party check. Jesus Christ has already said yes and signed his name. You need to rise up and amen and sign yours. Come on, put your hands together and give the Lord praise. Yes and amen. Becky sang it this morning. I will rest in your promises. I will rest in your confidence. Faithful are you, Lord. Your word is true. This morning, we want to, we want to pray symphonic prayers. We want to get in agreement with the Lord vertically. We want to get in agreement with each other. We want to learn to forgive and overlook offenses. We want to protect unity. We don't want to create disunity. You know, don't, don't be that team member that doesn't like the procedure that's changing and go grouse about it. Go, you know what? If folk that get in disagreement, they, want, they try to do the same thing. They try to get two or three gathered together that agree with them. And if somebody's always griping, somebody's always complaining, watch who's around them because I guarantee you they've been snake bit too. Little snake. 
put a little venom, create a bad attitude. Don't do that. Let's don't do that. You know what? Let's don't be junior high kids. If somebody's hurt you, go talk to the person that hurt you. That's what the Bible says do. How about let's just actually believe the Bible and be mature instead of telling everybody else how hurt we are. Oh, the pastor did this or the life group leader did that or the team leader, blah, blah, blah. And just mouthing, just all time creating dissonance. We, the symphony's having problems because you're just all over here just intentionally hitting a wrong chord. Ah! Don't do that. Get tuned up by just sitting down with the one who hurt you, the one, who, the one that offended you, and, and just say, look, maybe I misunderstood, because maybe you did. Come on, we can all misunderstand. And here, always give people the benefit of the doubt. I give everybody in this room the benefit of the doubt. It, it may be once, it may be twice that'll kind of get my attention if I feel like somebody's sort of dodging me or whatever. But the third time is when I go take action. Hey, are, are we okay? Because I, I feel like you're avoiding me. And people are shocked that I actually care enough about them to go see. What if we all just practiced that? What if we all just did that? Instead of calling our three best friends and complaining about somebody who did you wrong. Because if we tell the truth, everybody in the room has been done wrong sometime or another. Don't get stuck. Don't get sent to the showers. Don't get thrown out of the ball game and miss the whole ball game of life because you're offended at what happened in church 20 years ago. Some folk I don't have a chance with because they come in already with so much baggage from a preacher that hurt them in the past. And they just expect me to, to be the same. Don't give me a chance to be who I am. Are y'all hearing me this morning? Lord, help us. Father, we, we bow our hearts together in prayer. And I ask you in the name of Jesus to help us in this service. Help us to be men and women who choose.